today on Link FM Innovation Talk. This doesn't mean that I'm a fan of Winston Churchill, but he said something very uh, poignant, which was, if you don't take change by the hand, change takes you by the throat. By the throat, yeah. As a community, if we see changes happening in the world, mm. we have a decision to make. everyone welcome back to our brand new show innovation talk i'm humair anwar and you are listening to link fm so as we have spoke earlier last week that we have uh, this show set it for where we talk about digital economy uh, future of work and nonetheless that how technology is actually revolutionizing our everyday life uh, on our last episode we have with us nasser akram and he actually talked about business analysis because obviously he has a 20 years experience of that and he actually pointed out some very important point that how you can actually start your biz, uh, start your career in business analysis and how you can actually look for the options the career options and mentoring options across internet uh, that was a very fruitful conversation and building on that conversation we have invited nasser to our show again today so he can talk about pretty pretty much about business transformation how this digital revolution is working out in the business world uh, and it is actually we have decided to have him for the part 2 of this uh, show because we have got a very good response coming in and people really liked what we have actually talk about so we just think that why not give it a try one more time so nasser can you hear me hello oh Is yeah yeah i got it i got it back you <laughs> you know little te- you know this is what we are going to talk about nasir isn't it digital transformation is struggling companies <laughs> i think it's one of the example absolutely so technology <laughs> yeah um, can actually work really well in those times they can uh, you in a bit of a difficult position but <laughs> i think you've improvised well anyway yeah so nasser please uh, first of all moving ahead into our whole detail interview i would like to ask about uh, your consultancy first what actually your consultancy does what are your aims and objectives over there and how do you help companies in overall uk okay so basically my consultancy was set up 7 years ago and basically the main aim of this consultancy is to be able to take skills that i've actually applied in the real world and offer them to different uh, size businesses so small businesses medium sized businesses and large businesses and it really is about using digital technologies to improve the way in which they work so there's a whole host of things that we do with companies but the uh, underlying theme is basically looking at their current processes the way in which they work looking at the technology that they use and seeing if we can provide insights from us having worked at bigger companies and having access to more technology to see if we can share some learning oh, that's so we've worked with about 40 50 different companies mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. the last 7 years of different sizes and uh, we've managed to make quite a big impact Wow, that's amazing. So Nasir, moving ahead to our interview basically. So I would like to ask you about what is digital transformation 
and why is it a very happening topic right now? Uh, I think digital transformation has been happening quite a, for, lo- for a long time, but why is it so happening just suddenly in 2019 and 2020? Okay, so digital transformation has been talked about for the last 15 years or yeah. so. And essentially, just to define what digital transformation is for all your listeners, because I know we've got different um, audience who may not be aware of IT, so maybe. So I'm going to try my best to simplify everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, digital transformation is using technology to improve the way in which we operate. And that can be a small business level and it can be a large business level. It can be um, in different industries and different fields. So I know we've got a lot of solicitors listening. Um, digital mm-hmm. transformation means looking at the way in which they work, being able to provide a better interface between their customers and them. That could be through websites. It could be through self-service portals. I know there's a lot of people who use doctors or, you know, doctors in your audience. Again, looking at doctors' practices, at one time you would have to queue up at a reception desk. Mm-hmm, you would be allocated right. a slot. Now all of this through technology means that when you actually enter the doctor's surgery, you can book your own appointment. Yeah. You can self-serve almost. They have these kiosks at the uh, front desk. So that means that only those people that are not comfortable with technology are using the frontline staff. reason why technology is useful in this is it's a lot cheaper and it means that the staff who are working in the doctor's surgeries or solicitors, they can get on with actually looking after the patients. Yeah, true. And doing more in-depth um, work and lesser and lesser clerical work. Absolutely. Yeah. So it takes away the inefficiency and it makes things consistently repeatable, good standard, etc., etc. And I know you've got a big uh, customer base who are taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. Even in their industry, most people uh, who book a taxi via Uber are using an app now. Yeah, that yeah. app is doing something really clever. It's also uh, interacting with uh, global satellites so that they can plan their routes and they can find out which taxi drivers are in a particular location. So it routes it to the one that's the closest. So all of this is digital transformation. So mm-hmm, it's impacted mm-hmm. every area. Coming right. back to your uh, question about why is this such a priority now? Yeah. The yeah. reason why it's such a priority now is COVID has uh, come about. A lot of people have been asked to work from home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They didn't have technology. Right. A lot of businesses wouldn't be able to run their day-to-day uh, operations. What the technology is allowing us to do is have the greater flexibility uh-huh. to offer services from any location. Yeah, right. Taking away the location barrier, which is really useful at this moment which is. Time where we're encouraged not to meet in uh, places like offices where there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a priority, and I think globally there's a move to digitizing a lot of things that we do uh, just to make more efficiencies. Mm-hmm. I can see pros and cons. True. You know, we can come on to that later. 
Oh, that's nice. So, Nasir, I really like to pop this question in. Uh, do you think that digital transformation could be as simple as uh, creating your online presence uh, through a website, or it could be, it, or it has to be very difficult, very massive, very extraordinary? That whenever, because I remember. I am in this tech field for about like two, three years, um, and this is my fourth year in UK. Uh, m- all of my past work is in Pakistan. Whenever we go to companies and we talk to them about digital transformation, and whenever we say that we are going to help your company transition to digital, and you know you can have this, this, this and this advantage, they always get really scared, really get off with this idea they think that they have to change everything they have to change they have to buy new computers you know they have to train a big staff I, and i don't understand what what exactly that fear has to do anything with with the digital transformation so what do you think what is your take on that what your experience have been with working with different companies yeah i mean no, from my perspective i think talking about digital you need to simplify things and talk in the language of the customer. And sometimes when people talk about digital transformation, it is fearful for people who don't work in the technology sector, who may not have understood the definition, and it's not helpful. When I interact with businesses where I uh, work out that these uh, businesses are not very okay with the technical terms, I take out the technical. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. use digital transformation as a term. For bigger businesses who operate in this industry, using those buzzwords helps us get onto the same page quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I think that digital transformation means a lot of different things, and we don't necessarily need to make it complex if we don't need to. Mm-hmm. So I think right. the way in which I operate is by actually simplifying things for my customers. There's a, a quote by Einstein that I use by a lot is, if something's been understood, it can be said simply. Yeah? Yeah. And when something yeah. hasn't been understood properly, yeah. it will make it sound complicated. Yes. For me to be able to show that I know what I'm talking about, I have mm. to be able to simplify something. Oh, when right. I speak to taxi drivers, when I speak to small businesses, restaurants, etc., I try to do a bit of homework on their business ah. the terminology that they are comfortable with. Yes. That right. is a key skill. Mm. Being a consultant is not about using technical terms. It's about being able to relate to people mm. and translate the complex material into something that everyone can understand. Yeah, is, uh, I think, uh, Nasir, it's very much similar to m- in my case. I'm working with an organization who are providing laptops to to the very digitally excluded communities of Sheffield. So uh, uh, all of the volunteers who are involved with these learners, they, all, uh, they need to take uh, online sessions on Zoom. So what happened is that they asked the learners, the beneficiaries who we are supporting actually, who are the excluded ones, uh, they asked them to mute themselves on Zoom and unmute themselves. And the moment they say these two words, the learner got panicked. That, oh my God. Absolutely. What exactly he's, he or she is talking to me? What is mute? What is mute? I never know mute. Because their first language is also not English, you know. So they got really panicked. And then, you know, I started explaining them, this is Mike. 
and this mic has to turn on and off. And then when I say mic, they respond to me on that. So that's really Absolutely. true. That's really Absolutely. true. That's really yeah. true. I can really connect with it. So Nazir, please uh, share some of your experiences, some some of the case study of the companies that you have worked with, if you're allowed to, and if you can share some of the examples. Yes, so basically, um, I've actually been quite lucky over the last 20 years, worked for a lot of different companies, ranging from uh, BP British Petroleum, based in uh, Texas, worked for Barclays Bank, Lloyds Bank, uh, worked for about four different public sector companies, worked for uh, quite an established telecommunications company called Kingston Communications. Um, and, um, yeah, the landscape of each business is very different. The culture, uh, the way in which people work and operate, but um, I think one common theme has been the fact that they're all trying to achieve some kind of vision. And if you can understand the vision of each different company, whether it's a big company or a small company, you can then uh, almost prepare a transformation plan. Yeah. And yeah. what I mean by transformation plan is about taking them into a different uh, position to what they are in today. So transformation essentially means we want to get somewhere. So uh, as an example, there's a lot of people in, uh, in your audience who are familiar with cricket. Uh-huh. I want to become a fast bowler. Uh-huh, At the uh-huh. moment, I'm a slow bowler. Okay. I need to work out what I need to do to become a fast bowler. To become a fast bowler, just yeah. Just making that, that understanding of how I'm going to get there by increasing my weight training, doing uh, working with people who are fast bowlers, all of that combined is what we call the transformation. Plan. Yeah. So okay. it's basically working out where you want to be and then building a plan for how you're going to get there. Mm. So when we talk about digital transformation, it is exactly the same example. We want to, as a business, become more digital. And the way in which we're going to go from where we are now to the future is the transformation. So that's where you get the word digital transformation. Oh, yeah, that's right. But Nasir, here's a catch in this, uh, I think. The expectations, you talk about that uh, companies, you, you ask this question that where they want to be, and their expectations can be overwhelming, isn't it, Nasir? <laughs> you know, I have been in discussions. Even in my own organization, they're like, Humera, can we do this? And, you know, can you automate this worksheet somehow so that we can start getting notification that who's something is ending at some point and can we get start can we get start getting notifications of of the meeting that are due in three months or six months and like yeah all of that can be happen all of that is possible but you know for that you need a strategy you need a straight plan you you need to figure out what, what exactly you need to do so can you do you think that sometimes these expectations can be overwhelming from the side of companies yeah so basically the key skill in consultancy is first of all understanding the business and understanding what their needs are and then also discussing with them what the budget is for Mm. that transformation and very quickly when you start getting costings for different um, technologies that are are available in the market it is pretty similar to if you wanted to I don't know upgrade your kitchen Mm. (laughs) we can uh, uh, you know uh, have a dream 
with the best kitchen in the world. But the moment you actually look at your budget, that's when re- reality kicks in. Yeah, reality so exists. Real, the real skill of a consultant is understanding where the customers are, what their needs are, and then prioritizing the needs and looking at what they actually need. Mm-hmm. And then anything that is a luxury is being able to reposition their thinking and say, look, your first stage, yeah. let us focus on exactly what you want and what you need to make your business work better. In the second phase, you can go for the uh, additional luxury items. So that kind of conversation, it's always helpful to understand the budget. And the moment you start talking about money, people's expectations are managed a lot better. Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So, Nasir, I was just researching about uh, digital transformation, actually. So what I have done is uh, what I have got to know about it is that, that there are four types of transformation that a business should look into. The first is, a, is a, its own processes. Then it's about organizational and the teams. Then there are domains, and there's one more that I'm actually missing out right now. So there are different types of transformation. There are different levels of transformation that uh, that a company has to undergo. How do you support that? What challenges do you see in each of the levels? Okay. So basically, in terms of transformation, I think transformation, the the three key areas, as mm. you quite rightly say, mm. is the process, the people, and the technology. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've got... Um, and when we talk about people, that is the biggest challenge in every organization. That is the biggest challenge. <laughs> yeah, the technology and the process is uh, secondary and tertiary. And for me... The first thing we address is looking at the people. Then we focus on the process. And the last thing we look at is the technology. What is the biggest challenge? So in a lot of companies I've worked in, uh, they are used to a particular way of working. Mm -hmm. And one example of that is I used to work for HMRC. So basically, uh, prior to HMRC being the... um, you know, revenues and customs, they used to be two different entities. Yeah, yeah. Then revenue and customs and excise. Right, And they right. had a, yeah, a big project to merge both of them and create HMRC. Mm-hmm, I, was mm-hmm. act- uh, I was invited to act as a consultant to provide advice to them on how we could uh, combat the cultural change that was uh, needed. Mm-hmm. And... When I actually went into the company, I went up and down the country. I went down to Parliament and met with the uh, ministers, and they had a very unrealistic um, expectation of what they wanted. Oh, they have. Yeah, they pretty much thought that they could throw money at the problem, and those two organisations would click together. What I and work things out like out of uh, a magic. So magic wand is in action right there. There. Absolutely. So. What I did was I actually um, set up sessions with directors from all the different uh, locations in the country. And one of the things that struck me straight away was that there was a very defined culture within Mm -hmm. customs and excise and a completely opposite culture in the Indian revenue. So my approach to that was really understanding that culture, understanding what people were afraid about, and then almost bringing them on a journey to uh, uh, use information to stop people worrying about 
um, stuff that wasn't really going to materialise. I was able to start off by having individual sessions with the different teams and mm -hmm. slowly but surely bring about a cultural change where we had people from both teams in joint sessions. Ah, okay. Basically, I was able to then use the uh, output from those joint sessions and prepare ah, communications right. Right. that showed that both of these teams were coming together mm -hmm. and also use a lot of theory and change management to be able to help people understand that they were on the change curve And the first part of the change curve is that initial resistance inertia. Then there would be a phase of acceptance. There'd be a phase of denial. Yeah, yeah. Quite successful in doing that. And I was asked to go to uh, Parliament, actually, and uh, present my findings. But it helped the ministers get a better understanding of how long that change should take and what other factors would need to be considered for that change to come about. Um, going back to your question, so uh, th that is cultural change. Business process change, what we mean by that is if you are making a cup of tea at the moment and you are using a kettle, mm -hmm. there are four stages to that process, as an example. True. The, the tea, <laughs> Yorkshire tea as well. That's not <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, but Yorkshire tea in the uh, cup. Then we put in the hot water, yeah. we add milk, we yeah. add sugar. Yeah. That's yeah. four or five steps. Now, what business process uh, re-engineering is, is looking at those steps and seeing if we could remove a step or do a step slightly differently. So one of mm. them might be using an alternative tea, which yeah. we wouldn't do. Yeah. So basically, um, business process um, re-engineering is looking at a process seeing if there's a way of optimizing or making that process run smoother. Yeah. Um, yeah. And most companies need to do that before they bring in some new technology because if you have a bad process and you overlay that with expensive technology, the technology yeah. won't be able to That's true. You. That's true. So that's, that's what we do. And then the last part of it is looking at the technology. In terms of looking at technology, it's uh, it's a bit like going out and doing your shopping. You don't want to be able to go to a store if you haven't understood what the list of items is that you need first. True. So True. in business analysis world, we call these uh, this list we call in requirements. A mm. good understanding of what the requirements are is needed before you go out to buy the technology. Now, all three of these things that I've mentioned to you, a lot of companies don't do them properly. They don't look at the cultural change. They don't do the business process mapping, and they buy the technology first and get the requirements afterwards. That is so What? true, Nasser. That is so true. It has been happening in Pakistan for so long. We have bought expensive technology, expensive technology in hospitals, uh, in companies, But we do not have people to use them. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why a lot of businesses do this is because it's actually a very good way of saying you've done something when you say you've bought a new technology. So uh, it's very easy to say I've got a new website for my business because instantly people think you've ticked off that digital uh, box. But the problem is, if you don't have the right content in your website, 
True. When people use your technology, they don't find any value for them. No. They yeah. won't use it again. And it's yeah. the same inside a business. If you haven't understood what needs to go into the technology, mm. you buy the technology. It might be very expensive, but your own staff won't feel confident using it. Mm. They will be less likely to see that as being helpful to their day-to-day uh, life. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, Nasser, you have spoke about a focus group that you have conducted between two organizations. So what was the experience all about? I mean, you obviously you have stated out that there was, a, there was a phases that every team, every human being passed through when it comes to change. But what was actually overall experience what looked like? Because I think that there is so much politics also around uh, different departments and different companies. You know, you need to get over that barrier of bias and uh, politics and all that stuff. How does that look like when you were conducting these sessions? It, it, are they hectic? or they were easygoing, what was it? So basically the core skill that I use mm. to bring about this uh, change in people so that they can start viewing the change in more positive way yeah, yeah. and start collaborating and overcoming the cultural barriers mm. is by using my background in diplomacy. Yeah? <laughs> so diplomacy is a key skill. So what you have to juggle is the balance between listening to people and then being able to know when to intervene if you are facilitating a, a focus group like this and be able to remind people of the big picture. So essentially when people are arguing over minor things, it becomes uh, quite unhelpful to the overall aims of that session. So I'm really skilled in being able to make people realize the big picture. In a lot of organizations, when I see people arguing over a cultural change and we're not getting anywhere, I like to use evidence-based approach, use pictorial representation. Wow. I'm quite good with these uh, pictures and say to people, look, this is the big picture we're trying to get to. And ah. The activity that we're doing here yeah, is just one right. step on that ladder. Yeah. If we're stuck at this first step, mm. there's a very good chance we're not going to uh, meet the deadlines we've got. Do you mm. want to be responsible for making us uh, not get past this first stage? The moment you're able to show people where we need to get to and where we are and what's stopping us, yeah. I think people then feel that sense of responsibility and a bit of conscience kicks in. Oh, people true. are then more receptive. and. Usually I uh, like to uh, use uh, a focus group, but then have one-to-ones with people who I sense are more fearful of the change. And usually um, it is uh, understandable because a lot of the time when we're talking about digital transformation or any big changes in the company, first thing people think is technology will replace our jobs. Ah, That is something that I always heard that, you know, technology is bad. AI is going to take us over. There are going to be terminators who are going to kill us. And I don't understand why everybody is just like this. <laughs> Absolutely. So in that situation, uncertainty is the reason why people behave in the way they do. So what I try to do is replay as much information about what that change means for them. And the more different way and you will still have your job, 
those same people that were fearful of the change become advocates or champions for the change and then support the change. And that's happened in a lot of cases. And it takes good people skills to be able to build that rapport with people, gain trust. And in most of the places where I've worked, the secret ingredient has been uh, honesty and integrity and saying Mm. to people, look, uh, this change even if there is a change to your current role, my objective is to make sure that you are retrained and uh, your skills are upgraded so that you mm. can do something with this new system. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, being honest and having that integrity helps in that. On a lighter note, Nasser, do you think that Terminators are actually going to be somewhere in future and they're going to kill us and replace humanity? <laughs> Well, I pray that doesn't happen. And I think uh, we've got the advantage that um, as human beings, we have the ability to adapt as well. And although technology is moving forward, I think human beings have that DNA which needs to be carried forward and adapt to uh, future situations. Hence why the reason for doing this show and keeping mm. our community ahead of that change yeah. is about education. If we don't, there's, uh, I mean, uh, this doesn't mean that I'm a fan of Winston Churchill, but he said something very uh, poignant, which was, if you don't take change by the hand, change takes you by the throat. By the throat, yeah. As a community, if we see changes happening in the world, mm. we have a decision to make. Do we see that change as disappearing if we ignore it? Mm-hmm. Or if that change is not to be ignored and it is going to take over our lives, let us first of all understand that change and uh, prepare our approach to adapting to the change. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A bit like COVID. COVID's come in. A lot of businesses that didn't adapt mm. are now struggling. I now know they're struggling, a lot yeah. of. I know a lot of businesses that were restaurants. I've. Um, you know, quickly understood that we're now having to operate a delivery service. They've quickly set up websites. They've uh, provided the facility for their customers, and they are still in jobs. They are still making money. Yeah, so, again, yeah. with change, we need to understand what that means and quickly adapt to it. So, going back to your question, will technology overtake human beings, robotics, terminators? I think human beings have the edge if they adapt to the change. I don't know, Nasser. I always thought that human beings have always the edge. I think we are created this very super creature in all of the galaxy. I think, I don't know why uh, the Hollywood movies are so, so focused on only pointing out the negative sides of the technology. And they're forgetting this very important point about they themselves, we human, that we are the humans and we have surpassed a lot of things in our past history. If you just start reading the history and our evolutionary stage and everything, we always have an edge. I don't know what is there for us to fear. If we train... Yeah. Basically, I look at things from a religious perspective and there's a very simple explanation. Allah yeah. has chosen us as the uh, as the uh, I, uh, creation that is uh, that almost has the uh, custodianship of earth yeah yeah our creator is better than the creator of 
AI and ah, any other technology. Yeah. So I think we'll always have the edge. We always have the edge because obviously uh, Allah has transferred the ability of creation into us and we can recreate and create things further. I don't know why exactly we just fear of a lot of things. So Nasir, with the, with the training aspect, you just pointed out to me that uh, the training is very important for all of all of the team players who are part of this transformation. So this really gives me an idea about the very prime question of 21st century, that is re and upskilling. What is your take on that? So you, I know that you have mentioned some of the points in last interview as well. I really like to further uh, press on this thing that how we're going to manage this whole, you can say, this grave issue of re and upskilling. Because I yeah, think it's, so- it's a massive task. So basically, it's, um, if I was to simplify it, I think it's about understanding the uh, direction of the world. And I think the direction of travel seems to be knowledge economy mm-hmm. and technology. Mm-hmm. So we need to look at what technologies are at the forefront of that change, like AI, robotics, and other things that we've discussed last week, and then seeing if there's opportunities for us to gain training in them. Obviously, there's um, a whole host of uh, different training providers, training courses, etc. We do need shows like this show to be able to get into a bit more detail on specific areas that your listeners can then tap into. So we've got a lot of um, your listeners who are students who are doing GCSEs, A-levels, transitioning into university. One of the biggest challenges for them is being able to choose the right course for their GCSEs, for their A-levels, and for their uh, degrees, if they have a vision for um, going down a particular career route. I think what would be really useful is if we can start breaking down and having maybe um, specific sessions on careers and maybe mentors in different areas could come in and discuss how they got to where they got to, and then help to identify what training may be required to get to that route. So I think from a strategic perspective, it's very difficult for you know uh, students and people at school to understand what they need to do. We need to break the problem down right. and have people who are mentors who can then guide them. And mm. we can do that across the board, not just in technology, you know, in medicine, in other fields as well. So we can get a whole host of different mentors that the community can tap into, listen yes. to your shows, ask the right questions. And yeah. what would be useful is, you know, if people understood what the programs were about, if you had an opportunity for the audience to bring in and ask specific questions, yeah. that would actually help us to understand what the needs of the customers are or the needs of uh, the community are and then you can have deeper conversations mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right uh, well Nasu you have mentioned a very good point from the student perspective that you know if we can start doing the career counseling from very early on so maybe we'll see some of the change in the future but there is a very grave problem with the with the current employees uh, like me and like so many other people so um, uh, I, uh, I I was living with with a, with a housemate uh, just in my past accommodation. So she was from India, and you know India Indians are tech geeks, 
around the world. So what is uh, the challenge that their company is posing on them is that they have to move uh, into different programming languages. So, for example, uh, if an employee is being trained in Java, the company is asking them to quickly learn Python in three months and, you know, start programming into that. And that is the reason why that uh, there are so many people who are leaving the job despite of learning Python. So how does companies has to look this situation? Because, you know, you cannot suddenly ask somebody who has been programming in Java for so long to suddenly just go on Python. I mean, this is I think this is one of the ridiculous expectation even from the company. I don't think so. That's that's an, that should be done in this way. What is your take on that? My take on this is that, first of all, companies need to be clear when they bring employees in what skills set they expect from them. And if it is a particular language like you've described, like Java, etc., then they need to almost understand that for someone who's learned a particular language, it's going to take a bit of time for them to retrain and learn a new language. If we look at it from an employee's uh, perspective and an employer's perspective, we'll see both sides of the coin. From an employer's perspective, they may be operating in a field where they've made a radical shift from one technology to the other. So for them, they've got two choices to make, either retrain their existing staff or get rid of the existing staff and bring in new employees. Right. Um, from the employee's perspective, they've got the opportunity to learn a new language. So they have two skills as opposed to having the previous language. But there is a bit of a pain barrier because they have to learn something new. Yeah, and it's very daunting and a a scary path. (laughs) Absolutely. So, again, this relates to our cultural change and change management aspect. I think the happy medium would be that companies give uh, employees an opportunity to learn a different language if they want, but at the same time they support them by having realistic expectations of how long they have to learn this new language and also paying for them to go on these courses rather than putting the burden on the employee. I think if it's managed in that way and the benefits of that change from an employee perspective were given, I think that change would be better received. So if I was an employee in that situation you've described and my company said you are having to learn a new language. And they said the benefits of this are that once you learn this new language, you'll be more valuable to us. Uh, There is more career progression for mm -hmm. you. We understand that you previously only dealt with one language, but we see this language as not being as valuable in the future because Mm -hmm. technology does change and we'll pay for these courses. And in three to six months, you will have a better fit with our our organization and where our strategy is going. And also mm. from your personal perspective, you are more commercially valuable in industry. Mm-hmm. I think if the conversations had in this particular way, and this is something, funnily enough, I deal with quite a lot because at the moment I'm working as a, a program manager. Right. In, uh, working on a large digital transformation program. And... I've got a lot of uh, responsibility for different developers, et cetera, et cetera. So these are common kind of themes, um, uh, and this is the approach I would take to deal with them.
Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So, Nasir, how do you suggest that the very micro and small and medium level enterprises should look digital transformation? So, how they should adapt with this new revolution? First of all, I think they um, they have a, a few different options. One option is to, within their industries, look at what good looks like. So, as an example, right. if I am a um, if I am a, a takeaway or a restaurant, I can identify another restaurant or takeaway who is offering a better service to its customers because ultimately technology yeah. and digital. It's not about the technology; it's about the service that's offered. If there's a business that is known from a perception perspective as offering a good service, for me, that's usually the best indication that that organisation mm. has managed to balance the technology, training of people, and their processes in the right way. If you can identify from a small or medium-sized business, you've got not necessarily competitors, you know of other businesses who are doing something well, their customers are happy, then you have a, a way in uh, looking at what good looks like and then it's worthwhile having a conversation, maybe going in as a customer into that business. Right. Picking mm. up clues as to what they are doing differently. So if we were looking back in the you know uh, days when McDonald's, was uh, when you walked in, the way in which people queued, you had a self-service portal, you could order your yeah, food, yeah. then your food came within three minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, I've read in some research that it's a McDonaldization of an economy. I was, uh, yeah, I was working on platform economy and a research paper on platform economy. So it starts from this McDonald's concept of self-service. Absolutely so. Again, for any business, whether you're a taxi business, a restaurant, a bar, but you've always got other competitors or businesses who in your industry are seen as offering the best customer service. Go in, pick up clues, then have deeper conversations and say, okay, what technology are you using? What skills do your staff have? If you can explore them yourself, that's fine. Otherwise, you can uh, pay for a, a consultant because you've got your day job to run your business. You may pay for consultancy, and this is the kind of stuff that my business have done, where we would actually do that research for you, and we would say, okay, right. you're offering this in your industry. We bring that information back, and we tell you what you need to do in terms of transforming your business to being a good business in that mm -hmm. area and offering customer service. Yeah, 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 I got it. So, Nasir, we're just heading towards the end of our interview. It was really, really nice talking with you. I'm just going to give you a very tough question in the end, just to check okay. that how you can answer that. And I'm going to also checking that your diplomatic skills in that. <laughs> okay. I never asked you this question in your first interview, but I think I should ask you now. What is what is your thinking about this whole gender equality thing, which is a complete whole new issue in tech world, that there are very less women in tech fields and everybody is trying to cope this problem. Uh, some of the companies are doing positive bias. Some of the companies are actually putting quotas to hire a certain number of women, then women of color. What is your take on that? <laughs> My take is that... If um, we start by asking, 
those particular groups. Um, and my best example is race, because we saw um, similar pattern when um, race was uh, discussed and racial equality figures, etc., were discussed many years ago. Uh, everyone jumped on the bandwagon. Every company knew that True. for them to be seen as being a good company, they had to show that they uh, recruited specific minority groups, etc., etc. But then that fashion almost kind of translated into, you know, gender equality, etc. So for me, the most important thing is asking those specific groups, like the minority groups and the uh, racial example that I gave you, if the actions taken by companies have made it better for them to get the jobs and get the progression. Yeah. Mm. And then what else do they still need? So going back to gender equality, first of all, ask uh, uh, women what are the barriers, mm-hmm. what things they are, uh, 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 what discrimination they may be facing. And then right. having specific criteria that can be used to make sure that that imbalance is reversed. Mm. A lot of companies, I think, when things like this come about, uh, jump on the bandwagon because it means that they win some brownie points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are fair, we're doing gender. It's very same with the Hollywood movies as well. They just need to, uh, you know, cover their check marks. They need to put an uh, Asian in their movie. They need to put a black in their movie. And that's it. You know, it's a perfect recipe. And it's a diverse movie. So it, for them, it's a diverse movie, but it's not actually Absolutely. not. Absolutely. So the key thing is the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. A lot of the time, companies have these aspirations, but actually a lot of the time it's just because everyone else is doing it. And yeah. I think, you know, um, even on this debate, I mean, obviously we'd encourage that because there needs to be the same level of openness and uh, opportunities uh, irrespective of gender. However, the way in which companies do that is going to be very different. There will be some companies who do it because they really, really believe in it. There's some companies that are doing it just because of a tick box. Yeah, 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 true. I totally agree with you. So, uh, Nasser, in the end, do you have some message uh, for Link FM team, for Link FM listeners? And uh, as well as I also like to ask that if somebody likes to contact you in terms for the for the mentorship or for consultancy, uh, do you provide any 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 mentorship to individuals? Do you have a platform where you do it? So if you can share that that information, that'd be great. Okay, so first of all, for the um, for the Link FM team, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to do this tech show again. I think these tech shows. Thank you are really so much for good. coming, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these tech shows are really good. I think the only. Um, feedback I would give is maybe give the listeners an opportunity to actually ring in on shows like this yeah. so we make it a bit more interactive. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, I hope it's been useful. I know digital transformation and things like that may not mean anything to a lot of people, so I've tried my best to make it relatable to the audience that you've got. <laughs>